Love yourself. Strive for progress, not perfection. Know your worth, then at tax. Make an income while making an impact. Doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will. Visualize your higher self and start showing up as that. Level up. and welcome to Level Up with Lou. It's your girl Lou Oni. I'm back with a brand new episode for you. This is episode 29. Um, I have a very, very special guest here with me. Um, yeah, I think this guest has a lot to say and has a lot of background knowledge that even me, myself, I couldn't really know about or really um educate you guys about so i thought it'd be really good to bring her on this show to talk about her experiences to talk about the work she does to talk about what she thinks about um the society as it is today so if you'd like to introduce yourself my special guest hi <laughs> this is my first podcast so <laughs> wow <laughs> <laughs> no i'm joking <laughs> No, I'm joking. My name is Christabel, um, and I'm the founder of a charity named Hasana that works with black women and girls who've experienced any form of gendered violence in the UK. That's amazing. That's so good. Um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on this episode because I know you're a very busy person. Um, and yeah, let's talk about what we're going to talk about. So, mm-hmm. in this episode, I've always something I've always wanted to talk about because it's somewhere that like. Um, my passion lies in, in terms of like abuse against women and children mm-hmm. um, and in that I, I thought it'd be good to talk about um, with everything going on with all like the justice for the different women and the rape culture and the misogyny that we have in society I thought it'd be good to talk about how misogyny and rape culture affects and enables sexual violence against women because I think mm-hmm. it's really important even like with the whole um me too movement and all these different um things that are being pushed right now it's really important important to understand the history and you know how different things lead to each other and affect each other so that's why i thought it'd be good to talk about um all these topics and how they relate to each other so i thought it'd be good first of all to talk about how i actually um know christabel and how we met each other because yeah because it, it, it was an interesting story you know just because yeah. it wasn't even like a I it wasn't even like a planned it was just such the most mm-hmm. i think like the most random. random we met in morocco of all places on yeah. holiday <laughs> on a girls trip so we were yeah. both like on, on a girls trip with our girls um and one of Christabel's good friends, good friends is like um, a friend of mine from secondary school. So like we hadn't like basically spoke to secondary school and we hadn't really kept in touch with each other. But mm-hmm. the minute I saw, I was like, oh my gosh, I know this girl. And then she saw me and she's like, oh my gosh. And it was crazy. And honestly, um, I ended up meeting um, Nefemi, Nefemi's friends. And yeah, everyone was just really nice. And it was such a positive experience. And yeah, it honestly, I'll say it really like made our trip a lot, like a lot more better than it would have been. It really did. Because even today, to... I was speaking to Ozzy and I was asking, like, how did we meet them again? 
remember. I was like, wait. Because all I remember is, you know what? We were doing Black Girl Magic. Yeah, we're doing Black Girl Magic. And before we knew it, like, we we come together. <laughs> you know? And I remember yeah. it was really semi. And yeah, you guys were living your bestest life. life. Honestly. And we were. I love that. I love it was that. great, honestly. And you know, sometimes, like, you go on holiday, you make, like, friends with people, and you probably wouldn't, like, talk to them or keep in touch with them. But I like the fact that we've, like, kind of, like, kept in touch with each other, especially, yeah, like, on social same. media. It's been really nice, honestly. Honestly, nah, and watching <laughs> all of you do incredible things. I think, yeah, I've really enjoyed staying in touch with all of you, having conversations, checking here and there, and watching all of us grow into our different areas because everyone was doing something different yeah yeah definitely. it's great it's nice it's been nice honestly I, I can't how long ago was this because i feel like it's been a while like it's gonna be like 2018 or something if i'm correct two years it was 2018 <laughs> that's my god how time flies honestly yeah summer it was like september september yeah yeah 2018 and the thing is, we were in the same hotel as well, like, oh, God. yeah, like, what are the chances? And I, like, I remember seeing you guys at breakfast, <laughs> and you guys would always be late, always, always, always. Literally. <laughs> I don't know, I don't even, I can't remember, yeah, you just, I actually can't remember why we were always late to breakfast. <laughs> I think it was, a, I'm pretty sure it was planned, because, yeah, we never showed up early. There was just, yeah, there was no point, I mean, you're on holiday, what's the point of waking up early? To be honest. <laughs> We're very, very honest. <laughs> Morocco is interesting, man. I actually want to go on holiday again, like, but I don't even know where I'm gonna go before this coronavirus. <laughs> Listen, I just wanna, I just wanna get on a plane and hit passport, please. <laughs> That's all I need to hear right now. <laughs> I just, I just wanna hear. Please put on your seatbelt. Oh. You know, do you know how much? Do you know how much I would give just to see the flight attendants doing their signs and everything? Thank oh, you. Ah, oh, thank you. Um, we've really suffered. Suffered this twenty twenty. So twenty twenty is going to be right here. Oh, we're here to do what? Sit down at home. You know? We are in true bondage. We are in true bondage. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Well, we just I need a break. That's all we can do. Just I sit know. back and relax and. <laughs> Like, what can you... That's the only thing you can do in this time and just try and make yeah. the most of it. Honestly, work on yourself, you know, rest. Because, you know what, as much as people are talking about, you know, I've heard a lot of things and I've seen a lot of tweets about how people should start businesses or, you know, start grinding or you don't have an excuse not to do something now that you're off. But really, and truly, people should take this time to rest, man. We won't have mm. the time again to just be off any, everything and just, you know... Like for some of us, have an excuse not to go to work or work from home, and um, yeah, that won't come by anytime soon. But mm. if you can rest, rest. If you want to start something, start something. Whatever feels good to you, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You should, you, I was gonna say, people should not be forced to do anything they don't mm-hmm. really feel like they need to, especially during a time like this where a lot's going on. And on top of that, we have the pandemic of police brutality. So it's like, there's a lot going on. There's actually a lot going on right now. So Emotionally, it's exhausting. Exactly. And even like social media is tiring. So honestly, mm-hmm. don't force yourself to do what you don't have in your heart to do. Like, just chill if you need to. Mm. And take as much breaks as you can. 100%. So my first question that I wanted to ask was um, what is feminism and why does it have such a negative connotation? 
It's interesting because I define feminism as a man or woman who says yes, that there is a problem with gender as it is today and we must fix it. You know, a man or woman that says, you know what, we must do better, all of us. We must just do better. That's, for me, the basic definition of feminism. Mm. You know, it's asking for equality and asking to be just equal to men and, and having the same opportunities and having the same chances and being seen as much as they are um, and being acknowledged. And, yeah, I think at its core, that's all it is. Mm. That's very true. Like, I completely agree. Like, from like the research I've done and like the stuff I've seen, the actual and at the core of what feminism is, is really just mm-hmm. the advocacy for women's rights on the basis of the equality of the sexes so that women mm-hmm. have the chance to be equal politically, econo- econo- oh, economically, and That's socially. Um, mm-hmm. And then have also the same opportunities as men do because I feel like there's for like a very long time women were kind of you know put to the back burner and just kind of left in the home and they didn't really have much rights they couldn't vote they couldn't there's big women really couldn't do much and even up until this mm. day in certain societies women still don't have a say in things mm-hmm. so the actual movement itself of feminism I think is actually really important to the um, progression that we've seen in our world today because I, mm-hmm. I can just imagine a world where we can't drive cars we can't apply for certain jobs like you can't vote you know like that would honestly be crazy but that's what mm-hmm. people are going through in certain places in the world mm-hmm. 100%, yeah. and you know as much as feminism in itself has such a bad connotation attached to it you know with that it, we wouldn't be doing a lot of the things that we're doing now a lot of the things that we have now we wouldn't have them yeah. Um, you know, it it takes the fight <laughs> in order to create room and space for us. We we shook the table. You know, mm. we constantly are creating space at the table. Uh, and yeah, that's what the movement does. It's very true. Um, why do you think there's such a negative connotation attached to feminism? I think it's a lack of understanding. You know, I think you know what it's. I hear a lot of things like, oh, but a lot of feminists have done bad things. Yeah, but a lot of Christians have done done bad things. A lot mm. of Muslims have done bad things. A lot of white people have done bad things. Um, a lot of black people have done bad things. And yet, when we scream Black Lives Matter, we mean it with our chest, right? And we understand mm. what it truly means. And I think sometimes I like to compare it, especially when I'm having conversations with black people, you know, because it's like, we understand that we're not saying... Um, women want to be superior to men. We're saying we want to be equal. And I think a lot of men feel like, no, it means that you want to be superior. Um, and it's that fear. And because of that fear of the unknown, that fear of, oh my gosh, you, you want to be more than we are. You want to take advantage of us. It's like, no, that's something we reject. And we're mm. seeing that with the Black Lives Matter movement now, when there is a lack of understanding, people reject the movement. And they automatically assume it's a personal attack against them. Yeah. And that's so, the same thing with feminism. That's what we're seeing at the moment. That people feel like it's a personal attack. We're really and truly like Black Lives Matter shouldn't be a, a wild statement because it's not. We're literally saying our lives matter. Like it's a very basic statement. Same with the actual definition of feminism. It's very basic. All we're saying is that we want to be equal to you. We want to have the same opportunities as you. We want to be able to be invited to the same rooms as you are. 
you want to get the same pay you are getting paid and be respected the way you are. Um, but yeah, I wonder. I think it's selfishness as well. And you know what? Let's not lie. People like being in power. That's true. You know, I know that certain men enjoy being so powerful. They enjoy having the control. Definitely. And if we were to be equal, they wouldn't have that anymore. And yeah. Then what would they do? Like, they don't know their place when a woman is equal to them. Like, I don't know. I just think, um, for me, one thing that I've kind of seen and noticed is that I feel like people are also, like, fearful of what feminism will do in terms mm-hmm. of, like, oh, you know, all these traditions we have, like, all these religious beliefs, all these established mm-hmm. um, gender roles that we have, that is feminism going to destroy them and overturn them and make it mm-hmm. so that, like, basically there's no difference between men and women. That's basically what mm-hmm. they're fearful of. And, like, what does it mean in terms of, like, society, culture, in terms of marriage, in terms of relationships, in terms of, like, even, like, mm-hmm. um jobs and economic opportunities or like power and um authority dynamics like how does that work out in terms of bringing positive or negative shifts like how is feminism feminism going to affect these different things like is it going to bring a negative shift is it going to make it so that you know there's basically issues as a result of women women being basically on the same level as men and it's Mm -hmm. like if I'm being honest, I feel like a lot of positive things that we have today is as a result of the feminist feminism movement. Mm-hmm. And in terms of like um, calling out um, rape culture, in terms of pushing, um, pushing um, what's it called? Push, pushing opportunities in educational um, educational options to women. Like, do you know what mm-hmm. comes when, when women are educated, when, when women are supported? Like a lot mm-hmm. can happen because women, women make up a big... Um, a big percentage of not only um, the workforce, but I would say also the educational force in terms of like people that are in universities, people that people that are in colleges, mm-hmm. people that are in schools, and mm-hmm. educating women and making sure that because obviously um, if we take it on like a um, take it on like a basic level, if you say to women, okay, cool, we feel like your role is to look after the home to raise your kids or whatever that is even if, even though I don't agree with that what, do you understand how much impact a woman has on society in terms of like yeah. the children that she's raising if you have an educated woman think about the kind of children she will raise up rather than a woman that's not educated doesn't know anything about the world does, hasn't ha- doesn't have any access to any opportunities like it's such a massive difference that yeah. that would make on the, ch- on the child's life yeah and um, being a woman doesn't disadvantage men do you know what exactly. I mean? Because yeah. I'm a woman doesn't mean I'm anti-men. And I think it's really a really important conversation to have. Because yeah. actually being pro-woman benefits everyone. Yeah. Basically. Because if you think about it as a scale, men are already higher than we are. Me going higher only automatically pushes you higher. You yeah. can't go below me. That's not going to happen. You know, me, if you advocate for equality, it's only better for you. You are benefiting yeah. from it. And so the fear is really and truly, it's kind of, when I think about it, it's, it's ignorance. It's, mm. it's ignorance, you know? Yeah. And, um, again, it feeds into rape culture. It's that power and control. Again, like you said, religious, you know, whether it's religious, whether it's society, whether it's cultural, it's that power of control. It's that, no, we have to be above you because mm. you just can't be on our level. 
because then really and truly as men they'll start feeling very insecure definitely yeah start feeling very insecure and a lot's not like there's women that that don't want to be equal Mm. you know there's some conversations I've had with women that say you know I'm not feminist which is fine if that's the route you choose to go down that's okay for you but sometimes you know it comes again comes from a place of ignorance of not knowing how much a feminist movement has done for us Mm. Um, especially how much a feminist movement has done for white women you know Mm. because really and truly I I, I personally identify as a black feminist but the feminist movement has done a lot for white women and pushed them forward in a lot of ways and within that movement, they have sometimes forgotten about black women mm. or then also moved on to do what white men did to them by mm. marginalizing us black mm. women even further. So again, it's like, it's a very interesting conversation. What would you say is like different when you say like you're a black feminist? Like what, what does that mean? Like what, how, how, how does that, um, how do you differentiate that from the you know feminism that everyone knows as in like people understand as what is the difference? You know what, I think black feminism holds the experience of black women and gives rise to a particular understanding of our position in relation mm. to intersectionality, sexism, class oppression, and racism. And so when black women when we are like when I'm a black feminist I'm not just thinking about me and my people anymore but I understand that other people are also marginalized you know I feel like personally I feel black feminism is very much more inclusive Mm. and empathic whereas you know one one person told me a story it was a mentor and she was telling me when it came to voting right it was either black men were going to get the vote or white women were going to get the vote Mm. so now you black men were advocating that they should get the vote and white women were advocating that they should get the vote now where are black women in that I mean white women were advocating that they should get the vote where are black women in that now as a black woman imagine it's either I advocate with people that look like me black men or it's I advocate for people who are of my gender white women Mm. but me myself I will never get the vote Mm. and already I'm always left behind because black men will think about themselves and white women will think about themselves none of you will come back and I think black feminism really considers that and so yeah I find that to be much more empathic much more non-judgmental and we don't leave people behind like I've seen a lot of things happen in the name of white feminism even the Me Too movement and a lot of black women were left behind Mm. you know what I mean and so their experiences didn't matter as much. Their voices weren't as heard as white women's voices are heard. And so really and truly, are you advocating for gender equality or are you advocating for equality for yourself? And that's the problem I think I have with white feminism, but that's a whole different conversation. It's personal. <laughs> <laughs> you have a passion in your voice. But like, you know, people have that um, ideology that, you know, feminism is, is, is associated to, you know, angry, strong, powerful, uh, powerful and like forceful women. Mm. What do you say to that? What, what, what do you, what do you think about that? So a lot of people will see like feminists as women, like we have like, maybe they colored their hair in like really strange colors, like pink and like some random mm. color. They've got tattoos. They hate men. They've got pisses <laughs> everywhere. You know, like, what do you, what do, what do you think about that? Again, I think it's ignorance. You know what I mean? I feel like there are some feminists 
that indeed have tattoos. There's some feminists that have indeed dyed their hair, but so are non-feminists. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then also, what I usually say, you know, when I hear, especially when I'm having conversations with black men who say, you know what, black feminists, you guys are so angry, you know, you're so mad, and you're so aggressive. And I said, it's the same aggression that is standing at the front line of the Black Lives Matter march and fighting for you. Mm. It's the same aggression that will come to jail and get you out of it. It's the same aggression that will protect you every day of your life if I have to. But when it mm. comes to it, you'll call me aggressive. You weren't complaining when I was standing at the front line of every march shouting your name. You know, you weren't complaining that I'm angry when I was asking for and fighting for justice for you. And trust mm. me, it's women making those movements. It's women starting those GoFundMe's. It's women, black women making those moves. Mm. And we're not having these conversations. Then I'm not angry. But when it comes to dating, I'm angry. And I think it's just, again, an image that's been placed on us as, as women that, oh, you know what? It's not possible to fight for equality unless, you know, you're too wild, you're too angry, you're too aggressive. And again, it's the same, uh, um, I think it's the same thing that's been placed on black people in general. We're fighting for Black Lives Matter. It's very basic, but again, we are angry, we are aggressive, you know. People are calling yeah. us mad, we are thugs. And really and truly, that's the same thing that's placed on women again. And so not only are we fighting, am I fighting for Black Lives Matter, but I'm fighting for Black Women Matter. Mm, Definitely. So and I'm disadvantaged. Yeah, Marco Oak said in 1962, the most dis- disrespected person in America is the black woman. That's right. The most unprotected person in America mm-hmm. is the black woman. The most neglected person in America is the black woman. Yeah. And I don't think it's just America. I think it's the whole world. The like, world. Yeah. Everywhere you go, even in Africa, our motherland, we are neglected. We are forgotten. We are unprotected. We are disrespected. We are often at the sidelines of civil rights. We get ignored during feminist movements. Like nobody ever fights our back, mm-hmm. fights for us. No one fights no. our corner. Which is why I think it's so important as black women to stand up for each other, to Honestly. not tear each other down, but to support each other, to fight for each other, because no one else is going to do that for us. You know what? I was having a conversation with one of my mentors, and I was saying that I'm exhausted. Yeah, because I will fight for women in general. And then those same women, some of them will turn around and never fight for me. So white women, Mm. for example. Mm. And then I will fight for black men and they will turn around and not fight for me. And so I'm here sharing all pieces and parts of myself with all these people trying to fight their causes, but none of them will ever fight mine. And it's a very isolating and lonely place to be. Mm. You know, it's exhausting to be having these arguments and to be constantly having to prove myself that I'm deserving of, of support. Yeah. Really, right. truly, the least, I think when white women let me down, I don't get as upset. But when a black man lets me down, I'm like, really? Mm. You couldn't stick by me? So yeah, you're absolutely right that, you know what, the solidarity that we find in ourselves is so important. I think that's why Hassana was created to support black women in particular. And yeah. I wasn't shifting. We weren't moving. And people were saying, you know what? That is not inclusive enough. You know, it, it seems racist. I said what I said. <laughs> <laughs> to be very frank, you know, people said, mm. oh, you're not going to get a lot of funding from the government because I said what I said. I don't care. Then the black community will fund it. It has mm. to be that way. Because we will be a safe space for black women. Yeah. 
by black women and with black women in mind that that is important that's what we need to be be having we don't have that in our society at the moment mm. so when i i was gonna ask you when you um when you think about yourself when you identify yourself how do you see yourself how do you feel like what's the first thing you think comes to mind when someone sees you do you think someone looks at you and looks at your gender or do they look at you and look at your race or do you feel like it's a mix of both where they both affect each other and then you're somewhat ignored or you know somewhat treated according Mm. to that what do you think how do you think people react how do you think people see you how do you think you see yourself you know what? I think it depends on who is seeing me. Mm. I feel like if a black man is seeing me, you see my gender first. But I feel like if a white man or white woman sees me, I think you see my skin first. Yeah. And then my gender. So it depends on who's looking at me. Mm. Um. So yeah, I would say both of them, depending on who's looking at me, you would always look at my gender first and my skin first and then possibly so- look at what kind of education I have. Yeah, so what do you, in terms of like, what, which one do you place more, not value, mm-hmm. but do you, do you think is more, more important for you to fight the cause of, for you to, um, be passionate about, for you to, you know, invest in? Is it women or is it your race as a black, 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 black woman? Or would you say actually both of them can work accordingly? Um, and it doesn't have to be this or that, like it can be both, um, mm-hmm. um, like, you're a black woman because that's a black. I would say that's like a different, um, a different sector of its own. You know, being a black woman. You know, because it's not you know, being a black woman in itself is a whole different sector in itself. You know, what I mean, I have my own criteria there, like my own space, my own room, and I think that's why I would identify it as as a black woman. Mm. Like that, both of these. I love both of these, but I wouldn't change them for nothing. Yeah. Like, I love my blackness and I love being a woman. I love both. But at the same time, um, they are marginalized because of both. Mm. And minor- minoritized because of both. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough out here. Yeah, it is. It really is. Um, I also wanted to talk about sexual violence, um, mm. sexual consent, and rape culture. So I thought it'd be good to like, because um, people might not really understand what we mean when we say sexual violence. So find a definition for sexual violence and to basically kind of just have like an overview, like a definition history and talk a bit about um, awareness and statistics and, you know, mm. how prevalent it is, is, is in our society. So sexual violence is any unwanted sexual act or activity. Um, this can range from rape, sexual abuse, including in childhood, sexual assault, mm. sexual harassment, forced marriage, um, honor-based violence, um, FGM, which is female genital mutilation, trafficking, sexual exploitation, and uh, many other things that I probably can't touch on on this mm. episode. So that is like a... Um, a brief explanation as to what sexual violence is and what we mean when we say sexual violence. So in terms of when you hear the phrase sexual consent, what does that mean to you? Like, what is that? And why is it important for people to understand it? Um, to me, when I think of sexual consent, I think of agreeing to sexual intimacy um, by choice and having the capacity and the freedom to make that choice. You know, 
And that's what it means to me. When I'm speaking to young people, I usually say consent is yours to give, take, refuse at mm. any time, every time. You know, so it's like, it's something that is your choice to give or not. And at any point you can say, actually, I wanted it, but I don't want it anymore. And you should have the choice to do so. Mm. And that's what sexual consent means to me. And I think it's really important because we're, we're seeing that a lack of understanding of that definition um, causes a lot of issues for both men and women. And we're mm. seeing that actually most women are saying, even their first, I think it's about one in 12 women have said in the UK have said that their first sexual encounter wasn't um, consensual. That's crazy. And so imagine losing your virginity and that is rape in itself. Because if something mm. is not consensual, then let's use the real definition. It's rape. Yeah. It's formal sexual violence. And so one in 12 women are losing their virginity by rape. Wow. And, you know, because, and I think it's such a, consent is such an interesting topic because, again, it goes back to power and control. You know, why are you not asking for somebody's consent? Because you don't necessarily care or because you don't like what they have to say is one of the two and so you want to have power over that person you want to take something that you shouldn't be taking something that you ideally shouldn't have and that comes from a place of power and it comes from a place of control and so it's really important for us to be having these uh, consent conversations with young people adults anyone we're going to meet now i'm always drilling that conversation into people said that definition let's be consent because if we can see consent that we can have consensual sexual relationships and they're healthy do you think someone can have capacity under the age of 16 to consent to sex with someone? Well, technically, yes, but only if they are having sex with somebody. So you could technically consent to sex at the age of 13. The legal age of uh, consent is still 16, but you can consent at the age of 13 because the government realised that actually a lot of young people are having sex at a younger age. Mm. Um, so if you were having sex, consensual sex, with somebody your age, let's say you're both 13, you're both 14, you're both 15, then, and you can both, you know, say that it was consensual, then it would still be a safeguarding issue, but you, we wouldn't take you guys to court because you said it's consensual. But the legal age of consent should be 16. And so yeah. I'm seeing a lot of 18-year-olds in relationship with 15-year-olds. No, that 15-year-old does not have the capacity to consent to any sexual activity. Well, I was going to ask also, what do you think, because obviously a lot of um, women, when they explain or they share their experience, sometimes it's related to um, maybe they were drunk one time or, you know, mm. they were on drugs and maybe they were asleep or unconscious. Like, what do you say in terms of those type of experiences? So, like, not being... Um, not being 100% mentally there, but then mm. someone forcing themselves on you um, and then saying that you wanted it or saying that, you know, um, saying that, you know, you, you acted like as if, you know, this is what you wanted. What do you say to that? Because, you know, a lot of people can be feeling guilty saying, oh, I was drunk and it's all my fault. Like, you know, I let this happen mm. to me and mm. take the blame for it. But... I don't know, it's, it's a tough one because how 
do you say you know you've consented to something when you're not 100% fully there yeah. in the same way we wouldn't like allow like let's say for example we're like a disabled person mentally we wouldn't allow them to you know we wouldn't say oh if if for example they had like a condition that made them unable to you know fully make informed decisions mm-hmm. We wouldn't mm-hmm. say, oh, yeah, you've consented to that because we know mm-hmm. truly well that, you know, they weren't in the right, they're not in the right state to say, you know, this is what I want or this is, you know, this is acceptable. So what would you say mm-hmm. to that? I would say that the person definitely didn't have the capacity, you know. If a person is, in, you know, is drunk, is has been drugged, is unconscious, is asleep, they do not have the capacity to consent to any sexual activity whatsoever. And so even if a person was awake, if they consented, you know, when they consented, they were awake. But then maybe by the time you've put on the condom, the person is asleep. That's gone. That consent has been revoked so quickly because that person is now not conscious. They can't have conversation with you. And consent is ongoing. It's not something you do once. You should be consenting for every act. And so if I've consented to, let's say, vaginal penetration and you want to penetrate me anally, you have to ask for my consent again. It's not buy one, get two free. You're constantly consenting, you know what I mean? You're constantly seeking my consent, asking, are you okay? If you're initiating it, then you're asking. Is that something? So I do feel like, you know, and not even I feel like law says that's not consent because the person does not have the capacity to make that choice. And I know there's a really great video on tea, but if I said I want a cup of tea, and by the time you made it and you came back to me, I was unconscious, you wouldn't be pouring it down my throat, would you? Wow, yeah. You wouldn't. You wouldn't pour the cup of tea down my throat when I'm unconscious. You wouldn't even pour it down my throat if I'm too drunk to swallow because you might choke me to death. And we mm. have an understanding of that. So why do we feel differently when it comes to sex? You know, why would you feel like it's okay to penetrate me or be intimate with me in different ways when I am unconscious? Mm. Yeah. That's very true. And um, why do you think it's important for people to understand um, sexual consent? And do you feel like people understand sexual consent? You know what? I have days where I'm like, no, people don't understand it. And then I have days where I'm like, no, people understand they just don't care. Mm. You know? Wow. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think there are days where I'm just like, you know what? people really know what consent is especially men they just couldn't care less and um the way why i'm saying that is you know i say this all the time if a man was having sex with a woman and their mother walked in they would stop if um a friend walked in they would stop if maybe their mentor or their boss walks in they would stop and why would they stop because they respect those people Mm. the reason why you don't stop when somebody asks you to stop is because you don't respect them you know, there's a lack of respect, and in general, that's rape culture. There's a lack of respect towards women by men. You don't see our voices as valuable, and so our no doesn't really mean anything to you. And and if our no doesn't mean anything, then really and truly, yeah, of course. If I was about to kill a chicken, and I heard the chicken cry, clearly that means no, but I don't care, so I'll still kill you, fry you, and eat you. Do you get what I mean? Because I don't have that respect. I don't see that chicken as my equal. To me, as an animal, I eat you. And that's almost how men see us. They don't see us as their equals. They don't see us as, like, as much as, you know, we joke about it, sometimes they see us as second-class citizens. And so if you can see us that way, that means when we're crying and shouting and kicking and screaming like the chicken would, 
you, you don't act to it because you don't respect us. And I think it's so important for us to have the consent conversation because a lot of women are blaming themselves for a lot of things that have happened to them, you know. A lot of women are walking around and that experience, you know, the rape, the sexual violence, the sexual abuse, they place that weight on their shoulders. And that responsibility should lie with the perpetrator. Mm. You know, the abuser shouldn't lie with us. We we didn't ask to be abused, you know, nobody asked for that. It happens because people make the choice to. Yeah. They chose to abuse. And so they should handle the weight of that guilt and that shame. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people think that consent or, you know, consent is only, okay, she's not consented when she says no. No, it's not just that. It's body language. It's everything. You mm-hmm. know? Sometimes people have are not able to say no, but their body language tells you that they mean no. Definitely. You know, I mean, it's almost like I always say this to men when men say, "Actually, I can't read body language." And I said that's very interesting because if a man was touching you in a certain way, you would expect him to read your body language very quickly. <laughs> if you don't identify as gay or bi, yeah, definitely. you would expect him to read your body language very, very quickly, and you would read theirs very quickly. And so you are able to read body language, especially as British people, we read body language all the time. Mm. When you get on the underground and you brush past somebody and they look at you certain way, you know, oops, sorry. Yeah. Shouldn't have done that. But when it comes to sex, people want to act like they don't read it. You know, they want to act blind. Mm. And so I think it's so important for us to have the consent conversation so that it shifts the blame and the the accountability back of the perpetrators and takes that load of survivors. Yeah, definitely. Um, why do you think rape culture is so prevalent in today's society and do you have any statistics that you think might be interesting in relation to rape and you know sexual violence in terms of what's happening in the world today because I do feel like I don't know is it maybe it might be the age of social media but I do feel like um I feel like it's increasing more and I feel like a lot of people like I, but I don't know whether it's because it's more in our faces as in, you know, we're becoming more aware of it and people are coming out and talking about it. Yeah. Or is it genuinely because the rates are increasing and, you know, the world is going crazy? Like, what do you think about that? You know what? I think because rape culture starts very early on, like, I think rape is the, is the last stage of rape culture. You know, rape culture starts early, early. If you think about it, it starts from men will be men and boys will be boys. Mm. It starts from, you know what, he likes you. That's why he's being so mean to you. You know, it starts from, boys, you guys are chill. And girls, you go to the kitchen because you're a woman. It starts from our, yeah. our mother saying, you know, um, uh, if you can't make people here, how will you do it in your husband's house? Yeah. Those are the yeah. things, like, as much as this seems so small, an accumulation of those things makes men feel like they are in control of things. Mm. And so when they feel that way, again, we go back to power and control, that's when they feel like they have the power and control to take things from women that doesn't belong to them. And so if that's from, you know, when I go to kindergarten, for example, maybe to pick up my nephew and he's maybe bothered a girl and his mom is saying, or the teachers are saying, oh, it's because he likes you. No. Hmm. It's not because he likes you. <laughs> it's because he feels like he can do that. And mm. there and then we should say, no, you can't do that. That's not right. Then, then I tell my nephew, Junior, that's not good. 
You don't do that. Apologize. You never do that yeah. again. And I'm teaching you from young that you have no control over a woman's body. You know, when mm. a woman walks past and, you know, let's say a black woman or any woman is walking past a barber shop and all these grown men and there's young people sitting there and they're all looking at her. And the young huh. people are all watching this and they feel like it's okay to now whistle when I walk past at your small what? age. A mess. And a behavior that's been learned and a behavior that's been reinforced. You've constantly been told, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Going back to white privilege is similar to that and white supremacy. You know, hmm. when you're constantly being told that that behavior is okay and that's what you've grown up learning, when you then become racist, you don't feel like it's a problem because that's what you've done all your life. What do you mean? Yeah. I am better hmm. than that person because I'm white. Hmm. And so what I'm saying is, you know, because some racists don't even feel like they're racist. Hmm. They just feel like, as a matter of fact, I am better than you. I'm more human than you. That's it. And so that's what we're seeing that actually rape culture starts from early and then feeds into all the areas that we're seeing now. Work, yeah. where women are less likely to be recruited or paid the same salary as men. Hmm. In our sex lives um, and in everything else. And so, yeah, the conversation starts from early. But I think the Me Too movement did cause a lot. You know, I think we're having a lot of not only are we having conversations about it, but we feel more comfortable having these conversations. Yeah. You know, I don't feel alone anymore. I know that there's millions of girls like me and millions of women like me standing in solidarity with me. Mm. That makes me feel powerful when I speak about these things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Definitely. Like, you know what? These women have my back because I'm not I'm I'm speaking truth. And now yeah. I'm not afraid anymore of whether or not you like what I have to say. Mm. you're going to accept it anyway and I think that's why we're having these conversations and we're turning things on their heads we're saying actually that's not accepted anymore it's not good enough it's not okay mm. Mm. that's very very true and even like other examples other examples of rape culture you know like blaming the victim like we see yeah. that all the time she asked for it mm. you know who asked for that and also if you think about it it, it just doesn't make sense. You wouldn't say that about anyone else. If I got mm. smacked on the street, you wouldn't say that I asked for it. Like, nobody has the duty to touch me. Nobody has mm. the right to do that. You know, tolerance of sexual harassment, you know, inflating false report statistics. I think that's my favorite. You know, <laughs> oh, I love it. Every time I look at the media, it's a false report, false allegation. And it makes people feel like the allegations are false. It makes people feel like women lie. And when you look at it, actually the statistics show that less than 3% of allegations are false. Wow. Out of 100 women, that's less than 3. That's crazy. But do we speak about that? No. So it's very interesting. Hmm. That's insane. I was looking at this statistic um, from the Home Office. Um, mm-hmm. It's just like from the year 2018 to 2019. And it mm-hmm. said just 1.5% of all, so that's 886 rape cases, um, mm-hmm. were reported to the police, the ones that were reported to the police, um, only 1.5% of them led to a charge or summons, which is crazy mm-hmm. because 1.5% is nothing. nothing. And it makes you think, oh, why, why would people want to come forward? Why would people want to, you know, share their experiences, share their mm. stories when they're not going to be taken seriously or nothing is going to happen, you know, to the person who did it. Yeah. And, 
No, go ahead. Mm. No, see, you're absolutely right. I feel like as much as people have this idea that, oh, you report sexual violence and then, woo, the police is helping you and then, blah, you're safe and the person gets, you know, charged and they go to jail. It's, 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 it couldn't be further from the truth. Mm. You know, going from reporting to trial can take three years. Mm. It's not today and tomorrow. From reporting to the police to getting through your actual trial can take three years, in some cases five. Imagine dealing with that hmm. for five years. That's and insane. in those five years, the police recommend that you don't have counseling. Wow. And they recommend that you don't speak to anyone else about it because you can't disclose the um, details of the case with anyone. So do wow. you, like, do we see how much of an isolating and lonely place that is to be in for somebody? Yeah. For five years or three years. And so a lot of women do go back to the police and say, actually, I withdraw my, I withdraw my statement. Hmm. Because it's, it's just draining. It's, it's exhausting. You know, it's exhausting. Especially when you come from a community that is already not supporting and supportive enough. It's a very exhausting place to be in. And then you're seeing actually not enough cases are actually going to trial. And this three years is even if you're lucky and your case does get accepted to trial. Most cases mm. are not even accepted, like you said, 1.5%. Wow. And so most women will report and then nothing comes of it. And what that message does that send to survivors of sexual violence, that your voice does nothing, that your experiences are not important, mm. that nobody can help you. It's really sad. Yeah. Really, really sad. So what would you say if someone was... um someone wanted to help out in some way as in in terms of like combating rape culture what's like actions that we can take as a society what can we possibly do to stop this both genders both men and women what can we do to Mm. you know stop rape culture especially from very early on because i know it's not just you know the um the outright like terrible things that we see it's Mm. also the little things that you know I don't want to call them microaggressions, but somewhere like the little, you know, like the little things that you know people don't see as a big deal. Like for example, you know, when you when you talk about a woman, you're talking about a woman being submissive, a woman being sexually Mm -hmm. passive. Like that is that is not good. That is not that's not that's not the way to be. Or like when, for example, when um you know women get something like maybe raped or um, get sexually assaulted, they'll often ask, well, what was she wearing? Why was she in that mm. place? You know, what was she doing in that area? And it's like, no, like you can't turn, you know, turn no. it around and blame the victim. Like no matter, even if she was walking around naked, it doesn't mean you have any right to touch her. It doesn't mean you have any right to, to do anything to her. Um, so yeah, how, how would you say we can combat um, rape culture in our society today? You know what? Educating ourselves, you know, there is now so many resources out there and um, resources on our website if you want to look, but resources on all these websites, you can use Google as your best friend. Like mm. there's books, there's podcasts, there is everything, you know what I mean? Like yeah. blog posts, educate yourself and then call behavior out. It's mm. so important for us to call behavior out. Let people know actually that's that what you said there, that's not right. Yeah. You know? And even women call it women out. I call my mm. friends out. When yeah. my friends say something, I call it out. You know what I mean? Mm. Oh, oh, like if I hear oh, all this cleavage, but then she'll be crying later. No, 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 no. Don't, don't say that. 
Because all this cleavage, she can wear that if she wants to. You know, she can wear that if she wants to, and still nobody would have a right to her body. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And still, you know, women can't add women out, and men can't add men out. Mm. Pull yourself out. You know, hold hold your fellow man accountable. If your man is telling you, oh, um, I, she doesn't want it, but don't worry, I'm going to break her. Excuse me? All my alarm bells would be ringing. Like, what do you mean? These mm. are the conversations we need to have. Like, let's hold each other accountable. Let's say, actually, that's not good enough. Yeah. You know, same way we expect white people to be uh, calling out racism. Let's call sexism misogyny out. Let's yeah. say, yo, that's not good enough. You need Definitely. to do better. And until you do better, I can't rock with you like that. Yeah. You know? And mm. you made a good point when you said that actually, you know, blaming things on women's outfits or on alcohol or on other, you know, factors, external factors. If we took all these factors away, if we said no more drinking, if we said women, all women are going to wear a triple XL tracksuit or bin bag for the rest of their life so that their bodies and their curves don't show, would that stop rape? It wouldn't. No. Because it's it not wouldn't. about the drink, it's not about the outfit. You know, mm. most men don't even rape women they find attractive. They just rape women they feel like they have more power they can. over. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah that's, those are the important conversations to have for holding people accountable. Um, definitely, definitely educating ourselves and calling out our own unconscious biases. You know, even in the work I do, to this day, I have to call myself out. I have to be like, Christopher, did you just think that? And why did you think that? And call that behavior out. If you feel like, you know what, every time I see women with cleavage, I have a certain feeling about them. Call yourself out mm. on that behavior and then educate yourself. Yeah. And hold yourself yeah. accountable. I don't know. This whole thing is a lot. And it's just making me think about, I remember like, me as a young girl, um, so this is when I used to live in Nigeria. I was very, very young, under the age of 10. And I just remember, like, you'd have times where, like, all these weird uncles would look at you in, like, leery ways. And, like, just sometimes you'd even have, like, so I had, like, an older cousin. And, like, if I'd go around with her, these men would be, like, following her around, harassing her. And I just thought, like, how how crazy, how, like, how upsetting is it to be a young woman in society where you can't move around freely without the fear mm-hmm. of someone harassing you on a day-to-day basis? And there's mm-hmm. even things that I've heard where, like, oh, they'll tell you, oh, oh, so, like, my, my grandma said to me, oh, my grandma said to me, oh, you can't wear those shorts, you know, you, your skirt can't be ab- above your knees um, because, obviously, you know, it's a conservative society. But mm-hmm. I understand it's a conservative society, but it doesn't matter. Even if, even if, let's say, for example, I was completely covered from top to bottom, people will still look at you. People people would still harass you. People will still give mm-hmm. you stress. And mm-hmm. it's crazy because one girl was saying, oh, that she'd have to wear like a fake um, wedding ring so that people would stop disturbing mm-hmm. and harassing her. Mm-hmm. And how, like, how, how crazy it is that the idea of just because, oh, I'm, I'm married or you think I'm like engaged to someone or I'm with someone, then that's sort of like the only way you're going to leave me alone or like not harass me. Like, that's not, that's mm-hmm. not on. That's not the world we should be living in and, you know, raising children in. Like, it's just. And this is what we're seeing because you know what this idea of if you dress a certain way you'll be safer one it puts pressure on women to protect themselves against rape rather than or sexual violence rather than calling out men for doing it 
We're living mm. in a society at the moment where it's like, oh, don't wear headphones, don't drink, don't go out too late, don't walk by yourself. And it's almost like you're telling me how not to get raped instead of just telling men not to rape. Exactly. Anything to not tell men not to get raped, you know, like literally all you could do literally is to just say, men, do better, don't rape. But yeah. instead you're telling me how I should be protecting myself. Um, yeah. And even if we look at countries like Saudi Arabia where they were burkas, sexual harassment and sexual violence is still happening because it has nothing mm. to do with what your clothes look like. Exactly. I went to an sex- um, exhibition that had like different outfits from different survivors. There was anything from a nightgown to burkas to shorts to long pajamas to everything. And women wow. had come together and put like donated their clothes that they were wearing when they were abused mm. so that you could see that it had nothing to do with outfits. There was the shortest thing and the longest thing, and yet it still happens. Wow. Because your clothes don't protect you, you know? Mm. And so yeah. I think it's really important for us to remember that, that none of that matters. What matters is a man made a choice to do that or a woman made a choice to do that. Mm. Um, the reason why I keep referring to men abusing women as well, just to clear that up, is because statistics show that this kind of violence is usually perpetrated by men. Mm. towards women and even when other men experience sexual violence it's also perpetrated by other men Mm. so in general sexual violence is mostly perpetrated by men at like 80 percent and therefore it's it's something that we we need to be dealing with it's something that i think men should be holding themselves accountable they should be Mm. doing better definitely i agree I agree with you. Um, so if someone is going through something um, and they want to share their experience with sexual mm-hmm. violence, how can they talk about it? How, how would you recommend the best way is to approach someone, like, let's say for example, like a loved one or um, someone of authority that can like maybe like a policeman or policewoman mm-hmm. or um, a teacher? Like, how can they... Um, talk about their experience in a way where they feel like they wouldn't be judged or you know in a safe way like what would you say the best way to do it is because I know a lot of people are fearful of being judged um the stigma behind it you know they don't want people to think of them as a a, a victim which I mean if anything you're a survivor not a victim you know Mm -hmm. you're a warrior if anything because it's something like this is something that you've overcome Mm -hmm. um but what would you say to that you know what? It's all about when it feels right for you. Mm. When it feels right and safe for you. I feel like people should tell their stories where and when they feel comfortable. Yeah. You know? And with to someone and to someone that they trust. Somebody that they feel like, you know what, I want to share that my story with that person. I, I feel like sometimes we feel pressure to share our stories because it's like, oh, you have to speak to somebody. You don't. It's okay to wait until you feel ready because then you're more likely to share what's truly on your heart. And so, yeah, choose someone that you trust. Make sure you tell your story where and when you're comfortable and share only what you feel comfortable sharing. You don't have to say everything. You know, you don't have to give them all the details. Um, some things you might want to exclude because you're not ready sharing them. And so feel free to pick and choose what you share. Uh, yeah. You know, don't feel like you have to share the whole experience. You know, as you feel, after when you feel ready, you'll share more. But until then, share what you can and what you want to. And then, I guess, letting that person know how they can help you. Yeah. You know, like, 
it's okay to tell your friend or family member or your loved one how they can support you. Everyone recovers from sexual abuse in a different way. And yeah. so maybe you need space. Maybe you need someone, you know, to be a shoulder to cry on. Maybe you need to someone to take you out and do fun things. Whatever it is, like, feel free to tell them that this is how you can help me. And mm-hmm. don't let them impose their views on you. Because what yeah. I see a lot is a lot of parents will say, actually, we're reporting. If that is not what the survivor wants, then no, you're not. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so true. that's really important that we're so used to telling people how they can help you. And if you don't want any help at all, you just want to share. Because sometimes there is such power in just sharing and not needing anything from anyone. But I just want to tell you how what happened to me. And that's yeah. okay as well. There is no, like, playbook to it. Mm, definitely um, and then also I would say in terms of if someone was to share their experience with you because I was looking at rain.org which is basically like an anti-sexual violence organisation which mm-hmm. works to prevent sexual violence and um, help survivors and make sure that the per- perpetrators are brought to justice mm-hmm. um, a few things they mentioned was you know if you're um, concern that someone might commit suicide like basically learn like the warning signs of suicide mm-hmm. and offer help and support and also just remember also as well just because you're offering help and support doesn't mean they have to take it yeah. that if anything it's their decision just empower them with obviously the information mm-hmm. but ultimately it's their decision to seek the help and support and then also just to um be patient with them as well like there's no like timetable to recover from trauma so like Mm. don't like put pressure on them to do things they don't want to do so if they don't want to go out that's fine if they don't want to spend time with their friends that's fine they don't want to you know they don't want to seek help that's fine just you know let them process things on their own and you know Mm. do things when they are ready and then another thing would be to encourage um good self-care because obviously you can it's very easy to neglect yourself when you know you've gone through something so traumatic Mm. um so yeah just encourage if you can you know for them to just still look after themselves and you know do things that actually you know fulfill and make them happy inside Mm. it's really important i would say yeah and just to add to that like be gentle on yourself if somebody has come to you and told you about the abuse you know you might feel helpless you know because you you aren't able to take that pain away and so it's so important that you don't get down on yourself for not being able to help more like your support and your validation is enough like let yourself grieve in your own as well like sometimes Mm. you have to grieve you know there's such a thing as vicarious trauma where we start picking up other people's trauma as our own so it's really yeah. important that you're being gentle on yourself when somebody has this close to you and you're taking, making sure that you're taking necessary steps to take care of yourself. Mm. Yeah. That's very true. I also wanted to talk about, because um, you've been seeing like, a lot of like, you know, justice for someone everywhere. Mm-hmm. So like there's the justice for Breonna Taylor, justice for George Floyd, justice for Amod, um Amos is Amod Aubrey. Basically, yeah. all these different people, justice for, justice for. And then the new ones that I was also seeing was like justice for Uwa, justice mm. for Tina, justice for Shukri Abdi. Um, what would you say in regards to that? Like, what are your thoughts on, um, you know, the things that they've gone through, um, their deaths? Like, what would you say um, about all that? Because I know it is, yes, they all happened in different parts. So, like, Two of them were in Nigeria and one of them was in England. And the, the mm. way they died is all different, but it's mm. still under, the, I'll say, still under the theme of gendered violence yeah. and um, violence against women. Um, mm-hmm. 
So what would you, and women and girls, so what would you actually say towards um, the experiences that they had and, you know, how the legal system has then treated their debts and, like, what's happened as a result of everything? You know what? Sometimes it makes me feel like in life our voices are not loud enough and even in our death they're not. Mm. Like, especially as women, like, we, we, we just, it's very rare for us to get justice whether alive or dead. And, you know, I'm looking at um, Shukri um, Abdi and I'm looking at her death and I know it wasn't a case where she was um, uh, sexually abused, but we're looking at the fact that um, a black girl died, very suspicious circumstances, and there was no looking into it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And Mm. until very recently, if it hadn't been because of George Floyd, we wouldn't be saying justice for Shukri that much. Mm. She would have been forgotten. Do you know what I mean? And sometimes it feels like even in our death, it takes a man in order for people to look her up. Even in our death, we're not equal. And I'm not taking away from George Floyd's death or anyone else's death, but if you look at it, even when you look at the funding for George Floyd's um, death, you know, people were donating to that fund way more than they were to Breonna Taylor's. Mm. So we're seeing even then it's a very gendered way in how people support women and men even after they die. Yeah. And so yeah, I think it's really important that you know, that's why I love movements like Say Her Name. I think it's very important. You know, I went to the protest um last weekend and in, even as we were there, we constantly heard Say His Name, George Floyd, Say His Name, Tra- Trayvon Martin, we heard that and we very rarely heard Say Her Name Brianna Taylor. Say her mm. name Shukri, say her name Sandra, you know what I mean? We mm. say, you know, say her name Erica Garner because we didn't truly, we don't know those names. We That's don't sad. know them. And so it's, it's very sad. It's really important that, you know, we really talk about women's, you know, experiences just as much as we talk about men's experiences, whether they're mm. black or not. Yeah. And then when we look at what's happening in Nigeria, you know, justice for Tina, justice for Ura, um, of the forms of gendered violence, it's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> I think about yeah. it and I'm just like, oh, it's exhausting, you know. And it's, 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 you're looking at it and you're thinking, really? Mm. Like, mm. we're really going to sit here? And I, I really saw people online trying to make excuses, you know. Yeah, there's always those people. No matter what, there's always going to be those people that will make the excuses. There was men that were saying, but what was she wearing in that church? I said, Lord Jesus. A mess. It's a mess. It's a mess. Oh, God. It's a mess. And then you can get why why women are angry. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. You can get why why certain women might feel a way about men being alive. Definitely. You know what I mean? Like, I don't tolerate it, but I'm saying that there are some times where I just look at it and I'm like, oh, God. This gender, I just don't know about them. Mm. I just don't know about them. And so, yeah, we're seeing that actually, even all around the world, we, we are still not equal to men and we're still not respected as much. And we're still facing um, gendered violence and violence against women and girls everywhere yeah. we go. Doesn't matter whether we're in Europe, Africa, you know, Asia, it's happening everywhere. Even and in church, you ain't safe. Unless. Listen. Like in that place that's supposed to be the safest place to be 
you know, church is supposed to be a haven. You go to church, you're supposed to be, you know what? That's where you run to, running away from mm. life. You know what yeah. I mean? Running away from everything outside of the church. When you enter that building, you're supposed to feel safe and protected. And even mm. within the church, and we've known this because we know sexual violence and harassment happens in church. But hmm. even within those... Then we started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even within those four <gasps> corners, like, you're not safe. No, you're not safe. You're not safe anywhere. You're not safe anywhere. Not and safe that's anywhere. the truth. Like, the reality is, and I hate to say this, women are not safe anywhere. Hmm. Not in our houses, not in our schools, not in our workplaces, not in church, not in our mosques, not in our temples. We're not safe anywhere. Not in our cars, not in our friends' houses. Like, there's nowhere we are safe. And imagine hmm. living a life, imagine living a life where you are not safe anywhere because of your gender and then additionally you're not safe because of the color of your skin that's stressful girl we've been suffering it's a lot man (laughs) we've been exhausted yeah we are tired yeah we are tired but um i thought we'd get to um we're not good but i thought it'd be helpful to because not a lot of people might know exactly what we're talking about you say justice for these people and actually understand their stories so i thought it'd be good to see, like just um briefly talk about what exactly happened with these um different women so Ugo was 22 years old and she was in university mm-hmm. and basically to um, cut the long story short um she was basically raped and bludgeoned to death in church and she used to go to church for like the past five years. She was going to church to like study and stuff. So she actually went to church. That's, that was that was the, the main reason why she was there, you know, to study. Um, and she found it like obviously somewhere like she could be safe, like her, you know, somewhere that she was felt comfortable because obviously at home, you know, with the lockdown, everyone's at home and making noise and stuff. So you know, you don't you don't want to be at home where the noise is. You want to go go out and study. Um, and the police went everything happened they were basically saying oh it was an inhumane sexual assault so they wouldn't even call it a rape and the fact that her mm. you know her family came out and said it was a rape you no one is listening to us no one is doing anything we need justice like the fact that the police themselves were asking they call it like mobilizing money mm. that's what they were asking for before they even came to see the family i just thought mobilizing money like why do you need money before you mm-hmm. come and just you know do something about a crime like what 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 kind of justice system or legal system exists where people need to pay money before you can come and help them it's honestly insane um and i was looking at some statistics um you know like one in three um girls in nigeria have experienced some form of sexual assault before the age Mm -hmm. of 25 and it's honestly so crazy because i was talking to my mom um i'll say a few months back and just basically saying to her that like i feel like there's a lot of aunties there's a lot of um friends there's a lot of people that i feel like have stories that we don't know about yeah. obviously that because the stigma that they don't want to share it but like this yeah. thing these things happen a lot more than we know and even in terms of like even in your own household like, like cousins yeah. uncles parents people are doing like crazy things um and a lot of the time like our parents didn't even or our our family members or the people that have experienced these forms of violence don't even recognize it as a form of violence yeah it's become that's part of rape culture when something has become so normalized you know when something has become so accepted that it's normal and a lot of our parents don't see harassment as a problem or he likes you he's just playing with you no Mm. he harassed me do you know what i mean 
And exactly. so, yeah, a lot of the time when I'm having conversations with older people, they don't recognize those forms of violence as forms of violence. They just feel like it's an everyday thing that happens to everyone and that you just have to deal with in life. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and then Tina, um, she was 16 and she basically was killed for no reason. Um, when uh, apparently the police officer was drunk um, and he basically was trying to... Um, get money off a bus driver and he um basically just like as a bribe um because obviously the whole lockdown people you know you know lockdown curfew people moving around you're trying to get money off people um but he basically like shot into the crowd um to obviously disperse the crowd mm. that had formed when he you know started like causing trouble with the bus driver but she just killed as a result of something that you know she wasn't even involved in it wasn't mm. do you know what i mean like Someone just innocently waiting at a waiting at a bus stop gets killed. Like it's mm. things just like how can it be okay? And the thing is like like yes, they've now I think they've now arrested uh, the two people involved. But it's like before even then, like why did it take people you know uh, protesting and crying yeah. out for you and rallying yeah. before you do anything about it? Why like why why should why shouldn't there be action? Um, be action um immediately like why 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 are police officers, mm-hmm. officers exempt from the law like it's not okay it's not mm-hmm. all right at all yeah. and <gasps> why is it that lot. we have to we have to make so much noise in order, order for our lives to be valuable in order for you to look into our cases you know what i mean yeah. why does it take so long especially mm. like everywhere it's not even just in africa we're seeing this everywhere madeline mccann got 11 million pounds pumped into her case <sighs> Yet, Shukri, we, we have to make noise for one year in order for you to even consider opening the case. Even the message that the the guy from Manchester wrote, it even angered my spirit. Because <laughs> it was like, yeah, Dinas, yeah, I have been crying about it. I'm going to look into it. Basically, in translation, yeah. that's what he said. Even with Belly Moyenga, you know, we're seeing the same thing. Like, Belly, we, we're begging for you to open those cases. Why do we have to beg? Whereas if this was our mm. white counterpart, we wouldn't be begging. Yeah. We wouldn't be begging. We wouldn't be signing petitions constantly. And so, yeah, I think this is a very exhausting time for black people in general, but in particular, black women are, are exhausted. Mm. Very true. Also, I wanted to talk about um, domestic violence and mm. what you think the effect of lockdown has on the domestic violence rates and the reporting. Like, what do you think um, people that are going through domestic violence, what do you think is going on during this time? No, it's an interesting conversation because the reason why the government said we should all stay home is because they assumed that it would be the safest place for us to be. Mm. And home is most of the time the safest place for some of us, but not for all of us. And so we know that this COVID pandemic is a very worrying time for victims of domestic abuse. Yeah. And staying at home can have a serious effect on domestic abuse victims and they will have, you know, greater exposure to those perpetrating that kind of crime. Yeah. Um, so as much as it's safest for me to be at home and all that stuff, it's not safe for other people. And um yeah, numbers have definitely gone up. I know that the helpline numbers have gone up. People have been reaching out to support services more often if they can. But a lot of mm. women can't, you know, you can't be on the phone. You can't be texting all the time. You can't be talking to anyone because your partner is at home. 
Yeah. And if they're perpetrating that kind of violence, it's almost like the only break you had was them going to work mm. or them going to the pub or them going to see their friends. That's the only time you had a break. And now that you don't have that, it's dangerous. And we've seen a, um, a lot of deaths, especially in the first month of COVID. We wow. saw quite a lot of women dying at the hands of men. Mm. Um, and that shook me to the core because it's, it's telling us women are not safe at home either. Mm-mm. You know, Mm-mm. and so what are we doing about it? And I know that the government then decided that actually it would be fine for women to leave their houses to seek support if they have to and whatnot. Yeah. So they kind of like um, change those restrictions. However, you know, we're not taking into account women that are dependable on their husbands or their partners. Mm. You know, women that don't have visas or women whose visas are attached to men's visas. You know what? There's so many other barriers that certain women are facing that we don't think about on our, in our everyday lives because we can't relate. But yeah. I'm, you know, in, in our charity, I'm currently speaking to women who have unsettled status and their status is attached to their husband. Wow. And if they leave their husband, their status is cancelled. So how do I leave that relationship? Hmm. Do you get what I mean? And there's women who don't have a job, women who don't work, who rely on their husbands, who have been isolated from their families, who can't just step out and leave. And let's not forget that the government doesn't just house you in London. Let's say you're in London. The government won't just house you in London. Some women are being moved from London all the way to Littlehampton. Yeah. You are away from your support system. You're away from everyone you know. It's not as easy as we make it look. And so I think it's such a tough um, place to be in where... And also, it's actually more dangerous to leave your partner than it is to stay. Wow. And that's why a lot of organizations that we, um, Women's Aid, Safe Alive, women, like organizations that work with women in domestic violence, they say that don't just get up and leave, actually, because your partner is more likely to kill you. Mm. It's important that you have a plan in place. You don't just get up and say, boom, I'm gone. Yeah. Because we see that more women are dying that way. It's important that there's a plan in place. You know where you're going. That, you know, at that point, nobody can track you. You're not telling anyone else where you're going. Um, So, yeah, it's tougher than people make it look. I think um, people make it seem like, oh, just leave them. And I think it's very disrespectful to survivors of domestic violence. Mm. Um, it's very hurtful to survivors of domestic violence um, because if that was that easy, trust me, they wouldn't be there. So yeah, we're seeing higher numbers and we're seeing higher numbers because we know that domestic violence and sexual violence usually go hand in hand. Mm, yeah. um, so actually we're seeing that a lot more women are experiencing sexual violence and their actual marriages and relationships in their home at the moment during this time. Um, so we're seeing a lot of people are accessing our anonymous live chat and talking up to us about relationship problems in their relationship, in their marriage even. Wow. Um, knowing that they're currently being abused in this season and not being able to reach out to anyone. So and it honestly just breaks my heart really like oh gosh like i feel like yeah in my heart there's like a, a special place for women who are abused whether it be sexually um, physically emotionally it honestly 
it just gets to me and yeah and i just i wish honestly it was more of a priority to the government in terms yeah. of like i feel like this was a, this was already a crisis before even um mm-hmm. coronavirus and i imagine how much worse it is now like yeah. Yeah. i just think that the um the money the funding mm-hmm. like they need to just put a lot more into it and yeah. when they make all these rules and regulations they need to actually take you know they need to take action and take it seriously like it's not it's not a it's not a problem that just affects someone you know that we like we have no um we have no encounter with we have no relation with for all we know the neighbor next to us can be going through something yeah. like yeah. you know our auntie can be going through something yeah 100%. So, yeah. And even if you think about it, even like right now, the government, is, they're already thinking about what they're going to cut because of all the furlough they've been paying and everything else. And the first places they're going to cut are educational women's services. That's, That's not crazy. Right. And so as much as this COVID season most affects educational women's services, we are going to be the ones that are going to suffer the consequences of all of this behaviour and yeah. all of this money spending and everything. And so... Yeah, I know that a lot of charities are currently panicking, trying to find ways. And also the money, most of the money will go to big, big organizations. Hmm. You know, we're looking at Women's Aid and all those organizations that are very known, but small organizations, grassroots organizations that are doing really great work, like um, Hasana, like AAF, you know, smaller organizations that are catering to certain communities and actually doing that work, they hmm. won't get that money. And they might have to close down because yeah. of lack of funds. So yeah. Yeah. Lastly, I also wanted to talk about um, female genital mutilation. Um, mm. The reason why I wanted to talk about this is because I feel like I don't really know much about it in terms of like I've not really. There's like I feel like it's something that is quite hidden in nature mm. and. Unless you are part of a certain type of culture or you've actually worked with, you know, women who have gone through it, you might not really understand, you know, it when it's presented to you or know how to act as a result. And another reason I thought it was important to talk about it is, um, so at work we had a woman who came in um, and basically we provide emergency care for all types of people. A woman came in and obviously she had, you know, the mutilation done to her when she was younger. But then mm. um, the nurse that was actually looking after her didn't really know what to do in terms of relation mm. to that, what kind of advice to give, what kind of support that there was out there. So our manager kind of sent out like, you know, information packs, you know, for us to kind of learn more about it and educate mm. ourselves more about it. So I thought it'd be good to, because there's not a lot of people you know about it, it'd be good to actually talk about, you know, what happens, why it happens. And what can you actually do when you find out someone's gone through this? Like, what kind of support mm. can you, can you, you know, what support, what kind of support is out there for them? Because yeah. um, I know it can be very, um, very detrimental and have a lot of consequences and effects to the girl or woman's body. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. what do you think about that? Yeah, definitely. So, FGM, female genital mutilation, is a procedure where um, a female genital, genital organs are changed. Or injured and there's no medical reason for this so um, there is four types of FTM some people call it cutting some people call it um, circumcision but the reason why I wouldn't use the word circumcision is because circumcision is, is not you can't compare FGM to male circumcision it's not the same thing 
And mm. so when we use the word mutilation, it's again the power behind those words that women are being mutilated. Um, they're not being circumcised. And so there's three different parts, uh, four different types. I'm not going to go into them, but please do research that. And I know it has a lot of long-term and immediate health consequences. It has a lot of mental health consequences, a lot of PTSD, and it causes danger to um, in childbirth, difficulties in childbirth. There's loads of impacts of FGM, and it's something that the UK and the world is working hard to eradicate. Mm. And so I know it's illegal in most countries now. It's something that, you know what? Like something I, because I, I am an FGM specialist, so I deliver training on this to professionals and nurses and social workers and everything. And something that shocks people all the time is that there is no UK uh, borough or local authority that is free from FGM. Not oh, wow. one. It's happening everywhere. It's happening everywhere. It's not happening in Africa. It's not happening in Asia. It's happening right here and under our noses. And it's so important that we're raising awareness. It's so important that we're having these conversations from early. Um, wow. And that we're not making it a, a black people problem or a brown mm. people problem, but we make it a British problem. Yeah. It's our problem. Um, and so um, the best thing to do, if you if you encounter somebody over the age of 18, who's experienced FGM, you know, you can have conversation with them. Again, a safe space, similar to what we're talking about with sexual violence, and allow them to share with you what they're so comfortable sharing. But mm. there are support services available. So, for example, our agency, our organization offers counseling, free counseling to survivors of FGM um, by a specialist, counsellor so it just it's not just a random counsellor but it's a counsellor who specialise in FGM will be able to provide us support um, and we provide free emotional support to survivors as well and then there is loads of other organisations such as Forward they're based in North London National FGM Centre they're a national charity um, Africa Advocacy they're a charity based in Catford so many charities that are offering counselling, so many charities that are offering some sort of support, you know, mm. whatever you need, they will look into it and they will try and make it happen. And then there is FGM clinics all around the country for women who might okay. want to get themselves checked out, for women who might feel like, you know what, I want somebody to have a look at this. I want somebody to maybe tell me what type of FGM I've had or I want somebody to look and see that maybe it's just reversible. Um, Mm. And so, yeah, we know that a lot of women are currently going to clinics. So there are specialist FGM clinics in Croydon, in London, and there's one in Leeds. So, yeah, if you go on our page, on our website, there should be more information on that. But you can also Google it and there will be a lot of information out there. I know that right now we've only had one successful conviction of FGM. Um, So a woman was convicted about two years ago. Um, she had mutilated her own daughter and her daughter at the time was about three. Wow. Um, and that was in the UK. And that's the first ever in like 14 years or something like that. It's the first ever conviction we've had. And so the government is eager to be having these conversations with communities. And I think it's really important for us to mm. engage communities in these conversations. You know what I mean? And it's really important to be mindful yeah. of the language we're using. You know, when I speak to some people, they use the word barbaric. You have to understand that if a community believes in that behavior, if you call the, 
the practice barbaric is not going to help your case. It's really important that we're just having conversations mm. with them and we're re- explaining why it's illegal in this country and that it's illegal in most countries and why it's not beneficial anymore. Um, so, yeah, that's what we do yeah. in our work. Wow. That's amazing. Um, you talked a lot about, um, not a lot, but you did touch up on your um, charity and the work that you do, Hasana. So I thought it'd be good, maybe just educate us on what exactly is Hasana. So like, wh- where where did the idea of it come from? Um, what's the inspiration behind it? Like, what's the background of it? And what kind of support do you provide? What kind of training do you provide? And you know, how can people get involved in, you know, the charity? So Hasana was okay. We weren't called Hasana always. We we're called our first campaign. So we used to do work in about 2016 in just universities. You know, um, at the time I was working with the NCS program, raising awareness within young people, delivering workshops, and um. It was really important for me to create a support service that catered to women like me, you know, women that had experienced things that I had experienced or other things and needed a safe space. So that's where her sana was um, birthed from. And sana means um, a safe place, a safe space, uh, a safe um, space of refuge, a space of healing. And mm. I think creating that space for black women was the aim. And so it's taken four years, but we finally launched, you know, we've registered, we're a non-profit organization working to end violence against women and girls in all its forms. But we aim to tackle um, myths, misunderstanding and perspectives on gendered violence, feminism, um, rape culture, but our support services are tailored towards black women and girls. And so we mm. offer free counselling to black women and girls who've experienced any form of gendered violence. So that's sexual violence, domestic violence, post-marriage, FGM, trafficking, exploitation, so-called honor-based violence, you know what I mean? Harassment, stalking, there's so yeah. many. Rest Um, We offer free counselling to survivors of gender violence. And we also offer free emotional support to survivors of um uh, gender violence and we're currently um, delivering training sessions so we work with a lot of councils we work with Croydon, uh, Surrey, Brighton delivering all their training sessions on FGM okay. or sexual violence making oh, sure wow. we're raising awareness within communities and professionals especially when it comes to black women because we understand that black women experience um, more marginalization black women are experiencing additional barriers when it comes to disclosing these forms of violence but also statistics show that black women are more likely to experience sexual violence and domestic violence compared to their white or asian counterparts and so we are experiencing these forms of these forms of violence at a higher rate but we are less likely to report black women don't report and so yeah, we were having these conversations about why we don't report, and even if clients were comfortable reporting, they still deserve the safe space. So that's what we do. We also offer um, survivors of sexual violence with an ISVA, and an ISVA is an independent sexual violence advocate. So that's somebody who supports you through the criminal justice system if you've decided to report. Mm. She goes to court with you, she communicates with the police on your behalf, 
you know, she writes letters on your behalf and we have somebody who does that work with survivors of sexual violence. Um, and then we do campaigns and um, raising awareness on social media, raising awareness in churches. We're talking to pastors. We're talking to imams and in um, mosques. We're talking to people in temples. Like we are always raising awareness wherever we go. And so yeah, we are a charity, just you know, founded by Black women for Black women and with Black women in mind. And um, that's where we've come from. Trying to summarize wow. it. There's no information on our website on it, but yeah, that's who we are. Wow, that's honestly so amazing. And like the story and the background behind it just honestly just inspires me, inspires me so much. So I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you so much for the work that you do because it is really so important. And to carry on just doing what you do because like I feel like there's not enough support for black women in this world. So anything mm-hmm. that helps us, even in terms of when it comes to gender violence, um, mm-hmm. is very important. So yeah, thank you so much for the work that you guys do. Um, mm-hmm. And if anyone wants to find out more about you, your website, do you want to plug your website? Yes, it's hersana.org. So H-E-R-S-A-N-A, hersana.org. And you can find us on there. And even if you go on, Instagram, you can find us under her.sana and on Twitter, hersana underscore CIC. Um, so you can find us on there. If you want to do a donate to the course, please do. Thank you so much. Yes, everyone, donate. <laughs> it's okay. Well, yeah, thank you so much for coming on this episode. And I will catch you guys. Thank you for having me. <laughs> That's okay. I'll catch you guys on the next episode of Level Up with Me. Bye, guys. Bye.